morning. It's so good to have you guys here, your faithful remnant. I, um, I was praying this morning about my sermon, actually. It's hard to know what to preach at the moment. So we're doing a series on Genesis, and I was thinking through, is this what we should be speaking through right now? And I just got a sense that, yeah, actually, this message, the story of God's faithfulness to the people of Israel right at the beginning actually speaks a lot. So my main point right at the top of my message this morning is this, that God blesses even in dysfunctional people. In less than ideal circumstances, even when we mess up, when things aren't the way they should be, that does not get in the way of God's plan to bless people, to bless the world. God blesses abundantly. Uh, You may really need to hear that this morning. You may need to be reminded of that. Our world needs to hear this. That no matter what goes on, there is a God who is good, whose plan is to bless, and nothing will stop his plan to restore and redeem and bring all creation together in Jesus Christ. We can have peace and confidence. So, God wants to deal with brokenness. He wants to heal Um, deal with dysfunction, but in the midst of it, he still blesses. Um, In the face of fear, we don't need to be afraid. Uh, We're going to flip over to Genesis. I haven't got, um, Jeff's going to try and follow along with me on the screen. It's a bit of a challenge this morning. We're reading a narrative, but I have got notes in the YouVersion Bible app if you want to follow along. If you're at home, you can follow along there. I um, read a quote on Twitter this week. It was great. It said, As I get older, my favorite thing about the Bible has become this. All of the damaged and messed up people in there. Um, We're going to jump into that story of the messed up people that God chose to begin his rescue plan in the world through. So we're coming back to Jacob. Does anyone remember where we left him last week? fantastic. He had a rock for a pillow. He was alone in the middle of the desert. He had nothing. Do you know what happened after his dream, after he encountered God and he woke up? Do you know what had changed? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much nothing. (laughs) Everything else around him was still the same. He still had nothing. He was still in the middle of a desert, still didn't know where he was going. So he gets up And he just keeps heading north. He does have a promise, though, Kerry. He has a different attitude, you're right. But he's still heading into the unknown with this promise. I will bless you and you will have a great family legacy. So let's continue the story. Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherd would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they'd return the stone to its place. Jacob asked the shepherds, My brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yeah, we know him, they answered. And Jacob said, Is he well? I think that's a bit of a joke. Maybe it only works in English. Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. Hmm, his daughter. 
Jacob's been sent off to find a wife that's related to uh, uh, um, Laban, and along comes Rachel. Look, Jacob said, the sun's still high. It's not time for the flock to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to the pasture. We can't, they replied, until the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep. She was a shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban and Laban's sheep, he went over, he strutted over, and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. And Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. Uh, There's a scene in the movie Speed. Ava and I watched it not too long ago. Maybe you know the line, I've heard that relationships based on intense experiences never work. It's that thing of having gone through something in the movie Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock uh, uh, decide that they passionately love each other. There's been so much that's happened between them. That's what the situation is like here for Jacob. Here he comes, wandering out of the desert, not knowing what he's going to find, scared and alone, with this promise that he's going to find a wife and have lots of kids. And who does he stumble upon but Rachel? And that's... Yes, so this is a difficult passage to talk about because it comes from a very patriarchal society where there's um, really different expectations. Finding a wife in that society, uh, finding a husband in that society was a really important matter of security. You wanted to make sure that you married someone who you could trust, who was going to care for you because it was a patriarchal society. So we don't like that we we react against that we probably respond to it a bit better when we think of things like Jane Eyre and that kind of period of history where the most important thing was making a good match and um, having a good family that that's the situation here we don't like it here but there are many parts of the world where this is still the case where you make sure you marry someone who you can be sure of who you have an existing relationship with often a cousin Um, that's how the world works for many people still in the world today. So, that's the context. It's difficult to read. I'm glad that we're not live streaming this on Facebook because, oh, hang on, we are. Yeah. We'll keep going through the story. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for, for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your daughter Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed only a few days to him because of his love for her. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Princess Bride, but that's the vibe here. 
I will work for seven years so that I can marry Rachel. Um, I, I react against the language in this passage a lot. Uh, give and get. It's really important to, like I said, realise that this is a patriarchal society. It was done on those arrangements. You were very clear about what you were giving and what you were getting and how it was all going to work. Um, it's understanding that concept, which is very foreign to us, is really important when we get to the next passage, which is a really difficult passage. It's not good. Um, I'll, I'll talk about it in a minute, but we need to get an understanding of what the Bible is and what the Bible isn't right. That the Bible isn't an example of how life should be lived. It's an example of God's relationship with broken people and how he still works in the midst of their poor choices. So we'll keep reading. Jacob said to Laban, Give me my life. Give me my wife. My time is com- completed and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, probably with a veil on, <laughs> just so you know. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When the morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what have you done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it's not our custom to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we'll give you the younger one also in in return for another seven years labor. He puts that in as a (laughs) parenthesis. Uh, He mumbles that one, if you work for me for another seven years. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bila to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Yeah, one of the threads that runs through Genesis is the tendency for people to take matters into their own hands. Rather than um, waiting, while, rather than being vulnerable, they tend to try and force the promises of God, force the things that they want, especially when it comes to their children and having children. You see it in Abraham. You'll see it here. Laban completely deceives Jacob. Leah is complicit in it. Um, though she probably doesn't have much of a choice. If your dad tells you to do something, you do it. It sets up this dynamic in the family for Jacob, Rachel and Leah that is incredibly unhelpful, unhealthy and will define their relationship going forward. Um, like I said, it's really important to get our hermeneutic, our approach to the Bible correct here. The Bible is not giving us an ideal to follow It's giving us an insight into the messy, complicated way that human beings behave poorly and how God can still be at work in that. So it requires some real wisdom from us as we read this. It requires us to read with an understanding of the context that uh, that world is not our world, but we are still human, like the people in the story. And it requires us to be able to read and see where there are things that go against 
what God would have and where God is at work in it. So here's the thing about Laban, and this is a dangerous thing to say, but I don't think his intentions were bad. I think he went about things in a terrible way. Um, He was underhanded, he was destructive, he was controlling. He didn't approach the situation with humility. But his intention was that his daughter Leah find a husband who would care for her once he was dead. Someone who would be good and someone who would be kind. Someone who would be trustworthy. That was really important as a father. You wanted to make sure that your children were set up well. That was the number one duty of a husband. I think his intentions were actually not bad. It's just the way he went about it that was completely wrong. So the first lesson that I want to draw out of the story this morning is this. Good intentions aren't enough. It's really common to think that if our hearts are in the right place, that's the thing that matters. But it's not enough. Um, How we deal with people, recognising their autonomy, being vulnerable, not overstepping the mark, um, these things really matter. Even if your heart's in the right place, if you don't do those things, you are messing up. And often in really big big ways one of the things that jesus taught us to pray was forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us what he's saying is teach us not to overstep even if our intentions are right teach us how to humbly walk with god take responsibility for the things that are ours but not try and force the things that are not our responsibility to enforce Because Laban's trespass against Jacob and against Leah in good intentions had a massive impact that goes beyond Leah and Rachel and Jacob and it goes into the whole family, as we'll see. Favoritism has already been a major issue in Jacob's family. You'll remember that his mother and father had been divided by favoritism. His father loved Esau and his mother loved Jacob. There's been this relationship with the brother where they have been defined by favoritism and competitiveness, where they are trying to compete against one another. And now, Jacob has been forced into a relationship where there is deep favoritism. Um, Being married to someone he loves deeply and someone he doesn't. Laban's heart was probably in the right place, but it was an incredible, painful dynamic to set up. And particularly for Leah to be trapped in. Um, there's, a, there's a short story a bit later in the chapter. During wheat harvest, Reuben, Leah's son, went into the fields and found some mandrake plants. I don't even know what a mandrake is. It sounds like something from Harry Potter. Which he, <laughs> which he brought to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said, to her wasn't it enough that you took away my husband will you also take my mandrakes if i was rachel i would have been ropeable at this situation i would have been saying who took whose husband i was supposed to marry him and you got in first but rachel recognizes the truth that um 
Leah, her situation is that she is married to someone who isn't devoted to her and that Rachel keeps taking um, Jacob away from her. That's the dynamic. She should be loved, but Rachel is loved and Leah is not. Um, This favoritism gets played out when Jacob returns home to Isaac, when he leaves Laban and heads home. When he's worried about meeting his brother Esau, he hears that Esau is coming out to him with a whole bunch of armed men and he's really worried that his brother's going to attack him and kill him. So what he does is he sends all his property ahead of him and then he divides up the kids and, and the wives. He sends the ha- handmaidens first with their kids and then he sends Leah and her kids, her six sons, And then he sends Rachel and Joseph last so that if they get attacked, perhaps the ones that he cares about the most will get away. Talk about knowing your place within the pecking order. You'll see that um, dynamic playing out. It's the boy who gets the beautiful coat, who has the dreams about his brothers bowing down to him, who is loved by the son, who is the last one to get sent across. This uh, dynamic of favoritism plays itself out in the story of Israel and their family. But alongside that, we see God blessing and God going to a work and God actually addressing some of this dysfunction and his plans not getting derailed by it. Um, I'll read from Genesis 29, 31, Jeff. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. <laughs> Lynn's, Lynn's groaning because she knows that that's not true. <laughs> Surely my husband will love me now. No, sorry, Leah. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord has heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived and she gave birth to another son and said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. So she named him Levi. I, I love the names that Leah gives to her sons. You can see a real progression in her attitude. She goes from, Surely my husband will love me. At last he'll become attached to me because that's the thing that will will really matter. That's the thing that was going to determine her future joy and happiness. To this, when her fourth son is born, she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I'll praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. (laughs) Actually, she went on to have two more, so look out, Sarah. Um, She went on to have six sons, and she, by her own admissions, considered herself blessed. She was really thankful for her family and for the blessing that God had given her. But here's the thing. In this entire story, Jacob's attitude towards her doesn't fundamentally change. She learns that even in a broken relationship, even when that is not ideal, that part of her life, that there is a God who gives joy and peace and blessing. So here's the second point. God can bless you even if you're married to the wrong person. 
I think it's actually important to say that. I'm not going to make eye contact. Beck's not here, so that's helpful. She's out with the kids. But um, we live in a world that is infatuated by love. We live in a world that has this attitude that life is about finding Mr. or Mrs. Right. And it's so important to say that God can bless you. Life is good, even if that isn't the case. Because there's no such thing as Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. Some of us won't get married. Some of us will lose the person that we thought was the one. Some of us will be in a relationship where we really struggle with systemic issues that are with us for most of that relationship. And God can still bless in that place. God saw Leah. His blessing wasn't contingent on getting everything right and fixing that relationship between Jacob and Leah. In fact, even when it was fundamentally broken, when there was this deep dysfunction, systematic, he still blessed. Um, One of the Psalms that um, I've been reading this week is Psalm 46. It says, God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with surging. No matter what, even if the whole world collapses, our God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help. God's plan cannot be derailed by dysfunction. I hope you know that in truth, not just in theory. Wherever you are now, whatever you are facing, God's plans prevail. He will bless you. All right, I'm going to, we're finishing up. But the great irony in this story is that um, the lesson that Leah learns is a lesson that Jacob needs to learn as well. Slightly different. He's more proactive. But um, he needs to learn how God's plan to bless can continue even when they are challenged. He's he's the kid that keeps taking matters into his own hands. Um, But then he comes across his uncle Laban, who is shrewd and sneaky and is pretty much a match for Jacob. Um, We're skipping forward a little bit in the story, but um, Laban kept on um, doing dodgy deals for Jacob and selling him short. And Jacob, rather than trying to fix it in his own strength, put his hope in God. He started to learn how to anyway. Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all his wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude towards him was not what it had been. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and your relatives and I'll be with you. Again, that promise, I'll be with you. So Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah to come out to the fields where his flocks were. He said to them, I see that your father's attitude towards me is not what it was before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I worked for your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said, the speckled ones will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And if he said, the streaked ones will now be your wages, then the flocks bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. 
In breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled or spotted. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob. I answered, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled or spotted, for I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. Then Rachel and Leah replied, Do we still have any share in the inheritance from our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, but he also used up what was paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever God has told you. Um, The kids are coming back in. They can come in. Uh, We'll finish up. But Jacob, who has taken the birthright from his brother in a really sneaky, underhanded way, now has Laban doing the same thing to us. And Jacob learns the humility of not taking matters into his own hands. He learns that God's um, plans prevail even when people are against us. He's still not very good at it. He s- still is learning how to not take matters into his own hands. When, uh, when he leaves Laban, he just does a runner without telling him. But when he arrives home... He's learned how to take responsibilities for his mistakes and he does everything in his power to reconcile with his brother whilst being vulnerable. He doesn't try and fight him. He doesn't try and sneak around him. He deals with him and sends him a gift of flocks. He, when, he, when Jacob comes out and sees Esau, sees him coming towards him, what he does... Esau is coming with 400 men, Jacob's coming towards him and he bows down on the ground seven times in front of Esau as he comes out to meet him. He doesn't fight, he doesn't run and Esau comes and embraces him and uh, welcomes him back into the family. Um, Jacob gives Esau all these cattle and things and um, Esau says to him, what's the meaning of this? And he said, to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. But Esau says, I have plenty. Brother, you keep it for yourself. This is Esau who Jacob ripped off. He says, I've got plenty. You keep it for yourself. And Jacob says to him, no. If I've found favor in your eyes, accept this gift for me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you've received me favorably. Please accept this present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me and I have all that I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. God has been gracious to me and I have all that I need. What a great statement from someone who was always trying to take from his brother and take stuff. He gets to the point where he realizes, God gives me all that I need and I have more than enough. I'm blessed. And so I don't have to take. I don't have to operate dysfunctionally. I can just humbly recognize that. So let me um, finish how I started. God blesses even dysfunctional people in less than ideal circumstances. When there are systemic issues, he still blesses because he is good and he is kind and he is a redeemer. Um, 
We're going to pray now. Kids, so good to have you back in here to pray with us. Um, One of the things I would like you to think about, and this is for you kids as well, we've talked a little bit about the virus and the things that are going on at the moment. One of the calls on us as Christians is to hold on to this hope that we have, that God blesses even in dysfunctional or difficult circumstances when there are things that aren't the way they should be. And part of that hope calls us to love and to hope instead of fear. Love is patient, is generous, is kind. So um, one of the things I would like you to think about, and this is you two kids, is how you can love your neighbour at this time. One of the ways we love our neighbour is by washing our hands and being obedient to the government and isolating if we need to and practising good hygiene. All of those things are one of the ways we love our neighbour. Another way that we love our neighbour is by thinking about their interests, not our own. So maybe you have neighbours who are worried, just checking in on them. Maybe your neighbours have run out of toilet paper. Share yours with them. Jesus said, if you have two rolls of toilet paper and you see someone in need, give one of them to the person in need. Actually, no, he said that about jackets, but I'm sure it applies to toilet paper as well. He said, love those who are sick like you were sick with them. Care for those in need. Be gracious. Um, We're also going to pray. We're going to pray for those at work in our country, but we're also going to pray for healing, not just of sickness, but also of hearts. Because uh, part of the message of the Bible, part of the message of the gospel is that really deep down the thing that needs healing is not just our body, it's our soul and our relationship with God and the dysfunction that is there and that Jesus came to do that. So we're going to pray and then kids, you're going to share with us what you guys have been doing. It looks awesome. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are faithful and you are good that you bless us graciously, even if circumstances are not ideal. Thank you so much for this truth and for this hope. And Lord, we just bring to you the things that are on our hearts now. Our great fears, our worries, our, um, our frustrations, our hurts, our longings. We just come and bring them to you now. We ask for eyes to see your goodness, that we would wait upon you. We pray that you'd teach us to humbly do the things that we should and to not do the things that we should leave to you. Lord, we pray for our nation. We pray that we would have that good balance of doing what we should but not doing what we shouldn't. Lord, please um, be at work in this country. Bless it, we pray, for your sake. Um, be with those who are working hard to heal. Thank you for those who love peace, who love to see healing and restoration come. It is from your heart. We see you at work in them, and so we pray your blessing and your strengthening on them. We pray too uh, for our nation and for the things that, are harder to see. We pray for loneliness. We pray for isolation. We pray for fear. 
we pray that this nation would be a nation that knows that you are good, that you are God, that you are for us, and that they might find their hope and their strength in you. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Who am I handing over to? All right, so kids, you can come and stand up here with me. Try and stand in one line so everyone can see you. So come down to the front. There's not many of us today. Just watch out that you don't bang into each other. So just hop aside. Maybe we could go that way. Come down the front. That's it. And there's more space on this side, Uriah and Zalia. Come around here. All right, so we started our session today with a bit of a challenge to build a ramp that would make the car roll down and go as far as it can go. And what we realised...